Has anyone watched a child open a gift? I, uh, I'm always fascinated. I like watching, observing people. And when you watch a child open a gift, there's that anticipation of what's inside it. But what I find equally, if not more so interesting, is watching the gift giver. Because sometimes, you know, you get that gift giver who goes, check it out, watch their expression when they open this. I know I've nailed it. I've got something that I reckon is awesome. And just watch, watch what happens when they realise what it is. You know what I mean? Like you see that, that confidence. And then you've got that other gift giver who's there anxiously going, I have no idea how this is going to be received. Um, I think it's a good gift, but I don't know. And the thing about kids is sometimes they can be brutally honest. <laughs> they can open a gift and go, what is it? Or, oh, uh, okay. Um, now, when our kids were younger, there'd, there'd be times where you kind of cringe and you just go, oh, I wish I'd coached them a little bit on how to respond, you know, a bit more diplomatically than that. Um, and other times, you, you, well, at the same time, you go, look, I love the fact that they're innocently honest. Like, do you know what I mean? Like they're, they're not built with these layers of, of you know, uh, correctness that um, comes out of it. But I remember once my parents had been in China for a year. They had another year to go and in between they came back. And they came to our place and they had these two large boxes that they gave to each of the kids. And big boxes, awesome. They were just, you know, long, long, long boxes. The kids looked at them and they were quite heavy. And uh, they're like, oh, wow, you know, this looks really cool. And they opened up the wrapping paper and inside were scooters. They both got given a scooter each. But taped to the outside of the scooter were some stickers. It, completely independently, they were just, mum and dad had just stuck some stickers on the outside of it. And the kids went, awesome stickers, these are unreal. And they're looking at each other's stickers and going, what stickers did you got? I got these stickers. And mum and dad looked at them and went, we should have forgotten the scooters and just gotten the more stickers. Because <laughs> they, they, they hadn't had scooters before and they didn't kind of know what, what you did with them. But these stickers were amazing and it was fascinating just to watch how they responded to these gifts. And that was a completely different response than what my mum and dad thought they were going to give. But they, they loved the gift. They loved the stickers way more than they loved the scooters. It's flipped now. They much prefer the scooters now than they do the stickers that they were given uh, a few years later. We've been, we've been doing a series on, on Romans, and it's a, been a six-week series, just an overview of it. And this is the last of the weeks. And during this time, Paul's been unpacking the idea of this, this gift, this good news, this, this gospel that Jesus has brought, that this revelation that he's had, and he's, he's unpacking it for the Romans to, to lay the groundwork for when he visits there so that they can all agree on the foundations of this good news. And we've talked about God's amazing mercy and grace, about the fact that no one deserves it because we've all sinned, and yet God has actually done it all. He's, done, he's provided this gift uh, independently of us, in spite of who we are, in spite of what we are. He's still lavished this upon us that he set us free, that we're no longer condemned as slaves to sin, that he's provided the Holy Spirit in us, Jesus for us and the Father's love 
over us. And it's for everyone. It's not an exclusive thing for the Jews. It's for everyone. There's this picture that he's been painting in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Now, Romans can be a bit heavy. It, it can be a bit heavy going because there, there's a lot of meat. Paul, Paul often talks with a lot of detail, a lot of information. But at the same time, he does this weird thing that Tanya mentioned last week where he'll be talking about a topic, but he'll pop in other bits into the, the topic and then come back to that later. And, and it's important to understand as you read it, because sometimes you get, get confused, you feel like the train of thought's going one way and then he jumps into something else and it, it all fits. But it's, I, I describe it like, it's like painting with a spray can. There's the area that you get most of that colour in, but the paint actually spatters out over the rest as well. And that's the way you can look at Romans in that it's not broken up into blocks. There's themes that go through it, but then there's spatter across the rest of that theme elsewhere. And we're about to hit Romans 12. And it's not that it's the first time he's brought up this question. It's actually been spattered throughout. But here, he tackles the question head on. He spent 11 chapters predominantly talking about this amazing good news. And here, he goes into another theme, another topic. And it's the question, how do we respond? How do we respond to this good news? How do we respond to this amazing concept? And he starts with this verse in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I would, Tanya's not here, she's out at kids, so I could do this, but whenever there's a therefore, Tanya always goes, hang on, just a minute. You can't have a therefore without actually seeing what happened beforehand. But Paul saved us here because he actually explains what the therefore is because the previous part was talking about God's mercy. And he says, I urge you in view of God's mercy. So it's really important that we get this the right way round. And all the way through Romans, Paul makes it very clear to get this the right way round. It's really easy for us to get confused and think we deserve something because of what we've done. Or we don't deserve something because we haven't done it. And we can get very twisted up. And, and Paul makes sure that he puts the horse before the cart. It's in view of God's mercy. This is the foundation this is the foundation on which we respond. We respond out of already receiving God's mercy. But he's not just fluffing around the edges. He's pleading. He's strongly encouraging. He's persuading. persuading. He's urging us in view, in light of God's mercy to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, for us, the word sacrifice is maybe poetic. It's maybe symbolic. These guys, it wasn't a symbolic or poetic thing. They knew what sacrifice was and they, they, they experienced it. Now, I've never experienced seeing an animal sacrificed, but I know a few people that have. And apparently it's very, very confronting watching an animal die 
in front of you as part of a sacrifice. So these guys knew that, which is why the word living is really important because every sacrifice they would have seen would be a sacrifice that requires death. So that, it's a really important word in their context. To us, we kind of go, well, be a sacrifice. We assume it's a living sacrifice. But to them, the word sacrifice isn't something that's living. It's something that is completely given over. The life is gone, 100% given up for the reason that it was sacrificed for. And so these aren't weak words. These are, this isn't poetry or symbolism. This is actually a very, very dramatic an extreme response. It's a, it's a all or nothing response to the gift, the mercy that God has given. A living sacrifice to offer your bodies, your entirety, your, your being as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. Now, holy is to be set apart. Holy is to be sanctified, to be separated for a purpose. And the, the picture of the temple and the sacrifice is that the sacrifice would be separated from the herd for a single purpose, and that is to be the sacrifice in the temple. And so Paul's saying this, this sacrifice, this living sacrifice needs to be set apart. And pleasing is just pleasure, for God's pleasure. Then he goes on to say this is your true and proper worship. Now, the Romans 12, 1 that I memorized as a young adult said, this is your spiritual act of worship. Some translations use spiritual instead of true and proper. Now, it's talking about the real, the, the deep, the spiritual, the true, what is worthy in a temple, yeah? And worship is our response. Worship is what we give, our gratitude, our recognition, our adoration. It's very clear just from this one, one, one verse that Paul is saying it's not half-baked, it's not watered down, it's not an occasional thing. This is everything. Your response is everything. He goes on to complement this with another verse. He says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. These two verses have been really significant to me over my journey, over my growth and, and development and understanding as a follower of Jesus. Because I love passages that remind me of who God is. And I love being reminded and encouraged about what I've been given. But I always get to this question of how do I respond? What do I do with this stuff? I can't change who God is. I can't change the gifts. They're, they're all predefined. They're all, they're all done. And yet how I relate to those, how I engage with them is something I can do. It's maybe the practical side of me of going, I love being reminded of that stuff, but how do I fit into this? What's my response? And these two verses have continually just come up time and time again to help me 
reorient, to help me adjust and focus and, and get healthy again about my perspective and what, how I engage with this amazing gift, this amazing, it, it, when it blows your mind about how generous and how gracious and how merciful God's been, how accommodating and how embracing he's been of me, of all people. How do I deal with that? How do I cope with that? And these two verses have had a really significant part to play in helping me understand that. Now, Paul is um, obviously experienced that gospel in a dramatic way. And um, he's make, he makes it very clear that this is not about grey, subtle things, but a complete response. He says um, in Romans 15, he starts a bit diplomatic. I am convinced, this is 15 starting at verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. So he starts with buttering up a little bit. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Because of the grace God has given me, remember he puts it into context again, it's not because he's a legend, it's because of the grace God has given me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul is respectful and not arrogant, but at the same time, he's not tiptoeing around the issues. What is our response to this amazing message, to this amazing gift? What I want to do now is just look at the package that is Romans 12 through to 15, pretty much, and just take some snapshots of what responding to this message looks like. Paul goes into quite detail, quite a bit of detail, and if any of these stand out to you, I'd really encourage you to read the, past, the block because there's, it's just, it just lights up. It just radiates with, with the truth of how we engage with this amazing message. But for those that have got Bibles and don't mind talking out aloud, can I give you some Bible passages to look up and we'll just jump through it? Is that right? Darren, can I give you one? Romans 12, 4 to 5. Steve, do you want to do Romans 13, 7? Kate, Romans 13, 12. Anybody else? Yep. Um, Romans 14, 13. Yep. Um, Romans 14, 20. And Romans 15, 7. Now, I have no idea who I gave what to. So who's got Romans 12, 4 to 5? Darren, thank you. Are you able to read that out? Mm. So he starts, he, he has this theme in Romans 12, 3 to 8. It's, it's a broader part, but that kind of captures it. There's this uh, a humble commitment and use of one's gifts in the body of Christ. How we behave as a body, how we behave with the gifts the Spirit's given us, and how we interact with each other reflects our response to this amazing gift. Romans 12.10. There's this next section where he talks about love, and what showing genuine love looks like. And he unpacks it. It's a brilliant passage. Again, read, read the whole lot. Um, Romans 12.9-21. He goes through of what what being loving to one another, what being devoted to one another looks like. Um, Steve, 13.7. Hmm. We don't like this one so much. <laughs> um, I think there's some people in the US that aren't so happy with this idea at the moment. 
to submit to those in authority. Oh, people don't like that, particularly Aussies. Aussies don't like authority, especially when it's the Vic Roads. <laughs> we struggle with this idea of giving respect to authority. But Paul says that's part of our response to this amazing gift. 13.12, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Be alert and pure, time short. There's this response, this sense of being prepared, being ready, being armed. Romans 14, 13. Mm. There's this, another block. And these verses are just snapshots from these, by the way. So there's, there's bigger sections, but they're just a snapshot. Don't get caught up in judging others. Don't get caught up in judging others. And he actually goes into more detail in Romans, uh, in, in the next block, Romans 14, 20. Yeah. So there's this, there's this block in there also that says, be sensitive to what might cause people to stumble, particularly food. Now, this was an issue in their culture about what food was clean and what food was unclean. Um, so it was an issue specifically in their environment. But the picture is the same picture. To be sensitive, to be aware of what might cause people to stumble what might distract them from this gift that they've been given. Uh, Romans 15.7. Another block where he talks about being gracious and encouraging and building each other up. It, it's a picture, he's painting a picture of how we respond to such an amazing gift. We started with giving it all up. And as he goes on, he he unpacks it and gives some detail, some understanding of what it means to be a living sacrifice, what it means to give up who we are and give it back to God. And there's a brilliant line that Paul writes as part of this bold plea to respond. And it's Romans 12:11. He says, "Never be lacking in zeal." but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal. Zeal is about drive, urgency, pressing on. And fervour, the, the original word for fervour is like boiling water. It's like a raging storm. Your spiritual raging storm, your spiritual bubbling, bubbling water. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Now, someone jokingly said to me earlier this week, when it comes to the parts of the body, we can't all be the backside and just sit on it. <laughs> I thought that was a good quote. I told him I'd put it in the message today, so there it is. No, it, it, it is relevant. It, it's, it reflects on this idea of taking the foot off the accelerator, the idea that we, we wrestle with what it looks like to respond, what it looks like to respond. And, and, and Paul is encouraging here, don't take the foot off the accelerator. Press on, press in, go hard. Give everything you've got. Be that living sacrifice. Don't get stuck with the patterns of the world, but push on. And Peter gave a brilliant um, analogy a couple of weeks ago 
of, of having a passport. It's the, the picture of your citizenship is represented by that passport. You can show that to someone and say, check it out. I'm an Australian citizen. I have belonging and identity. It's here. But you're missing out if you don't ever get to sit on the plane. If you don't ever get to buckle the seatbelt, you're missing out on the, the fullness of what that passport gives you permission to do. And, and in on that plane, you get to trust the pilot on where he takes you. And so it's not like if you never fly, the passport gets taken off you. We've got to remember this is not, Paul's not here giving people a guilt trip. He's unpacking what it is possible to respond to such an amazing gift. These are the opportunities, these are the freedoms, these are the things that you now have because of this amazing gift. These are the, the opportunities to engage, to participate in what God's doing. His good, pleasing and perfect will. This is good stuff. This is not beating people up into submission and saying, you know, you bad people, you didn't, you know, what, how, how ungrateful you are. It's going, take it all. This is, this is the freedom that you've been given. Now, I was given a picture this week as I prayed. God gave me this picture. And this was the picture that I was given because I had this sense that each of us in different ways, each of us in different ways, have been given a bunch of amazing things. We have a new outfit sitting there. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. There's the shoes, shoes to run the race. Hebrews 12 says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. There's the gifts wrapped up, the gifts given to us from the Holy Spirit to exercise this life of freedom. Romans 12.6 says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. There's a certificate sitting on the wall, a declaration of forgiveness, that there's no condemnation. We heard in Romans 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And lastly, there's a door that's wide open. God's good, pleasing and perfect will. And yet in this picture, this guy's got them all but he's still sitting in his jail orange outfit. He hasn't responded. Sometimes we feel like the certificate must be for somebody else. Sometimes we feel like we don't deserve the shiny white outfit like Benny Hinn. Sorry, that's just, that's just what, an, that's what a white outfit reminds me of. Sometimes we leave those gifts wrapped up Along on the side. We don't even unpack them. Catherine last night was very excited that she reckons one of them is a, a cricket bat. And there's doors that we don't walk through. And I said, God, why would someone, why would I not take those things? Because Romans tells me that there's only 
the response is 100%. It's everything. Why do I, why do I get confused by this? Why is my response, why is our response not embracing the fullness of what you've given us? Now, I'm not Paul, but by God's grace, I have been given leadership in this place. And when I read what Paul describes as a healthy, a true and proper sense of worship to responding to God's grace, it saddens me. It saddens me when I look at my own life and when I look at the life of people in the church. Not in a critical way, but just in a sense of this picture of embracing what God's given. I think Simon pointed out one of the big things. Busyness. Busyness. There's a whole heap of things that we get stuck and we struggle with when it comes to the patterns of the world. And I think busyness is one of them. Tiredness. People I speak to are very, very tired. There's a sense of striving for security and comfort. Sometimes we're caught up and and driven by pride or selfishness. But then on top of all that, we then crave entertainment and relaxation just to cope with the fact that we're busy and we're tired and we're We've, we've got all these layers of things that are going on that load us up, that distort the picture of what God's trying to tell us. As a result, we struggle to make it to prayer meetings or activate group. We struggle to get to church. And when we do get here, we're exhausted when we walk in the door. The stat says that in Australia, people on average get to church, those Christians get to church one in three weeks. That's normal. And every, I talk to a couple of pastors, they go, yeah, yeah, that's how it is. We're just overloaded by stuff. The sad thing is that we think that by adding more, we can make it better. Has anyone cooked a disaster meal? Anyone cooked a disaster meal? I, yeah. I'm, I'm not the only one. <laughs> I remember once, as a, a young bachelor, deciding I'd make shepherd's pie. And I burnt the potatoes, right? But it was only the bottom that was burnt. Surely the rest of the potatoes, the nice white parts, are fine. I can tell you it didn't matter what I added to that stuff, it didn't take away the burnt taste. (laughs) It was always going to taste burnt. Tomato sauce, salt, pepper, herbs, throw it all in there. It didn't make any difference. It was still tasting burnt. And sometimes... I think that's what we try to do. We think that's the solution. It doesn't work. Adding more, adding more, adding more. Let's let's do something extra on top of what we're already doing. Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what God's will is because it's good, pleasing and perfect. And if we get stuck with this idea of we've got to just do more, we've got to add more, we've got to, we've got to try and fix this by doing something extra. We end up like my burnt shepherd's pie. It still tastes burnt. It's not going to fix it. We've got to go back to what it means to be a living sacrifice. What does it mean to be wholly given up, wholly given, completely surrendered to God? Because 
adding layers isn't helping. It doesn't work. I haven't found someone who has yet said that that's the solution that fixed it for them. When you talk to people who've simplified things, you start to see a bit of a light bulb moment. But when we just make ourselves busier and more tired and more complicated and running around doing everything, I don't know someone who said that worked. It's a lie and it's a deception to think that we can just keep throwing things at life in the hope that we end up at this picture. It's a contradiction. If we want to be never lacking in zeal, but keep our spiritual fervour serving the Lord, there's got to be space. Now, it's not about me. I'm not saying this for you, for you to respond to impress me, but just think about it. Is God's grace enough? Is it enough? Respond to that. Are you free? Have you been set free? Respond to that. Are you a new creation? Are you a new creation? Respond to that. Has the Holy Spirit been poured into you with the abundant gifts he's provided to live life? Respond to that. Does God have good, pleasing and perfect plans for your life? Respond to that. They're all statements that are true. They're all statements that already exist. They're already there. They're already in the room. But if we're responding to the wrong things, then we're not embracing, we're not capturing what it is that God designed to happen. His gifts weren't random. His gifts weren't just out of the blue, thought he'd throw some things at you. They're actually part of a purpose. And when we get caught up with distractions, with complications, with lies about what is important, we actually let go of the important things and pick up things that aren't important. I want to make it abundantly clear that there is no condemnation. What I'm saying is not because God wants to crack his whip and get us into line. It's because he loves us, because he has been merciful and gracious. He wants the best for us. And if we're trapped in this space of trying to cram everything in with the patterns of the world putting pressure on us and the plans, good, pleasing, and perfect of God on the other side, we get stuck in the middle not sure which way to move or how to move. And I really think the Holy Spirit wants to do some stuff this morning. I, want, I think the Holy Spirit, there's, this picture is not a picture of everybody, but maybe aspects of the picture relate to you. Maybe there's things that you've picked up that you're not meant to pick up. Maybe there's things that you're wearing that you're not meant to be wearing. Maybe you need to put that poster back up on the wall that says there is no condemnation. You are not being judged by God. Let go of that. Let go of that. Maybe there's gifts that you've been given that you've been sitting on. Oh, 
too busy to serve. I'm too busy to use what God's given me. I'd love to feel God's telling me this, but I just don't have time. What sort of a sentence is that? I feel God's telling me to do something, but I don't have time. That's, that's a sad picture. And God goes, not that I want you to feel bad about that, but I really want you to do what's good, pleasing and perfect. I want you to embrace that. Just really encourage you to spend a bit of time with the Holy Spirit. Can I also say, and this is my experience, there's times when I get to this point and I hear nothing. Yeah? That's not a failing. There's two possible responses. One is, awesome, God's got nothing to say. The other is, get some brothers or sisters around you and say, let's do this together. And from my experience, 95% of the time, it's the second. And I do it about 10% of the time. (laughs) So we're called to be a body. We're called to minister together. We're called to encourage and support one another. So if God's speaking to you, awesome. Listen, respond. If you're having trouble hearing or you're having trouble unpacking or having trouble processing, and I say trouble, it makes it sound bad. That's not bad. There's people here for this purpose. There is a body here for this reason. So just stop, pray, reflect, and respond to what the Spirit's saying. Let's not let what's happening in our world, in our communities, the patterns of behaviour that is considered normal be our measure of normal because the only measure of normal that we have is God's. Let's not lower the bar and go, oh, well, that person's like that. I'm doing all right. The only measure, the only measure is what God wants of us, what God desires to give us, desires for us to experience. Let's not settle for half-baked for mediocre, for a part-time disciple, a weekend warrior. That is not a living sacrifice. That's not the good, pleasing and perfect plan God has for everybody in this room. There is not one that he doesn't have a good, pleasing and perfect plan for. Lord God, it blows me away how generous you are. It blows me away how much you've lavished upon your children. And Lord, it saddens me to look at my response, the things that I've laid down, that I've got distracted by, the things that I haven't claimed or maybe haven't understood, the things that look brighter and shinier in the moment. And I didn't embrace what it was that you were calling and saying and giving and enabling in me. Father God, we know that you are good. We don't just say that with lip service, Lord God. We've experienced that. We have experienced your grace. We have experienced your Holy Spirit. We have experienced your good and pleasing and perfect will when we respond to it. And so, Lord, we come 
And we ask You, Holy Spirit, to have Your way in this place. Lord God, we want You to be Lord over our lives. We only want to be servants to one master. We want to worship in a true and proper way because we want to worship, Lord God. We desire to thank You and praise You and glorify You for Your generosity to us. Lord, on our own, we know that's fruitless. But as we look in that jail cell, everything there that's worth having, You've given to us. And so Lord, we claim that right now. We claim those truths. We claim those things that You have provided. We ask You, Lord, to speak about what it is You want us to respond with. Thank You, Father.